Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. Welcome everybody to the first Legendarium short uh, call it an appendix, if you will, uh, a side quest to our Mistborn series. Today I will spend a few minutes talking with Riley, she of the shockingly pink hair, about Elantris, uh, Brandon Sanderson's first published novel. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, everybody. So, today on The Legendarium we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, I am, uh, of course, I'm Craig Hanks, and I am excusing my co-host Ryan Bruckman, uh, as well as our normal panelists, uh, Todd and Ken, uh, because today, like I said, we're doing it a little differently. This is a Legendarium short, uh, so we are not doing a full one-hour episode. We're just focusing in for a few minutes on a, a little bit of a sidebar. We recently finished our uh, Mistborn series, which was uh, pretty popular uh kind of shockingly so it's surprising how many people have read that and and loved it like we did so today we are focusing on another brandon sanderson book called elantris i guess he pronounces it elantris which could have you know that's odd but i he's cool with us calling it elantris apparently so we're gonna do so uh and with me today i have a different panelist riley say hi Hi, everyone. I'm Riley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Riley is a friend of mine who I gave the book to, what, a month or two ago, something like that, Mm -hmm. and said, uh, hey, you know, you should read this. I think you'll like it. And the verdict is... I love it. (laughs) It's it's amazing. It's amazing. So Elantris is Brandon Sanderson's first uh, published novel. I'm sure he wrote some others before that, but this is the first one that Tor picked up. uh, And it was very, very well received. The reviews were a little bit more mixed than they were for Mistborn, which was kind of universally adored by critics. Uh, but Elantris, those who loved it, really loved it. And I'm I'm absolutely in that camp. Uh, the other three guys haven't read it yet. Uh, that's why we're bringing in somebody <laughs> else. Um, but uh, we're so we're going to try to talk about Elantris um, and uh, get you all excited to read it without giving too much away. Uh, we can definitely talk about the broad strokes, but I don't want to give away the ending, so check yourself, Riley. Good to know. <laughs> All right. So um, let me do a little quick synopsis. Um, Elantris, it focuses on three main characters, Rayodin, the crown prince, Sereni, the fiancé of Rayodin, and Hraithan, uh, who is the final messenger from the Dorethi people who have an ultimatum for Rayodin's people, convert peace- peacefully to the Dorethi religion, or convert at the point of a sword. Uh, the targets of conversion, the Karathi, they have their own religion. They have been ruled for time immemorial by the Elantrians, one-time humans who are selected at random by an unseen force and given immortality and godlike magical powers. All of that came to an end, though, about a decade ago, when, during a, a great earthquake, the power of the Elantrians broke. There are still those who are randomly selected and made into gods, but now they have all the immortality and none of the powers from before. And what's worse, although they can't die, the Elantrians can still feel pain. In fact, they feel and keep feeling every physical pain they have suffered since their transformation. Many Elantrians have gone insane from the pains of hunger or the compounding pains of scratches, scrapes, and stubbed toes. 
Anyway, our story opens with Raoden, that crown prince, who wakes to find that he has been transformed into an Elantrian. His family, uh, the royal family, they fake his death and lock him in Elantris with the rest of the unfortunate ones, where he sets about trying to create a working society out of the anarchy that he finds there. And he also spends a lot of time, as much time as he can, trying to solve the riddle of why the Elantrian's power has broken. Sereni, his betrothed in a politically arranged marriage, who, by the way, has never met Raoden, is still, according to the law, his wife and heir. So it falls to her to protect to protect her new people from the machinations of Hrathen, who is trying to overthrow the government and set up a new theocracy, theocracy? theocracy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, based on the Derethi religion. So anyway, the the plot, it starts slow, but soon becomes very complex and uh, I would argue very engaging. It doesn't exactly start as a page turner, but it ends that way. Would you agree? Yeah, I actually didn't like it at the very beginning. I I don't know. I, I don't know if we want to talk about that now. But I, I do. Talk okay. about it. So I was really skeptical when um, Craig gave me this book because I hadn't read a fantasy book in a while. And... He gave me Elantris and my husband, Mistborn. And I don't know, I felt kind of like, why? Why did you pick me for Elantris and why did you pick him for Mistborn? Because I had known that Mistborn was, I guess, well-liked and didn't really know the reviews of um, Elantris. So when I got into the book, I read the first uh, page or the prologue and I was like excited because to me it reminded me of Rivendell and that was something familiar. It was like this godlike town with these godlike creatures or whatever and I don't know I was like okay this is familiar I love it but then you turn the page and all of a sudden that is broken apart and you realize what Elantris is today and all of a sudden I was just like oh no (laughs) (laughs) I don't know like took away the magic and all of a sudden I was like this is going to be depressing but it um, was yeah and it was like this first chapter is super depressing and I just remember turning to him and being like man this sucks I don't like this book and so at first it isn't a page turner and it's hard to kind of get through those first few chapters but totally actually that reminds me of something that i mentioned uh way back during our lord of the rings uh, series when you get to um uh, isengard mm-hmm. where saruman lives uh, he spends tolkien spends a whole page you know several paragraphs describing what isengard used to be like and it was this really nice place with mm-hmm. these you know nice garden paths lots of trees this um, very cool man-made tower in the middle. And then he says, but that's all screwed up now. Um, and it's dark and depressing and nobody wants to be there for any length of time. And if, you know, if mm-hmm. you're there, you're screwed. And that's exactly what this is, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, let's, uh, so let's talk a little bit, uh, again, we need to kind of set the scene here. Let's talk about the power of the Elantrians, mm-hmm. um, and their, their magic system. Uh, so let, let me ask you it this way. I'll put it this way. How often do we read a fantasy novel uh, in which words hold great power? Mm-hmm. You know, so Harry Potter swishes his wand and right, says the right. right Latin phrase. Or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody learns the ancient language that holds all the power. And they say the right words and suddenly whatever mm-hmm. they want happens, right? In this one, it's very different. The Elantrians, um, they they work off of something called aeons or mm-hmm. aeons. I don't know exactly how he says I don't it. Either. But uh, they are... I think like hieroglyphs, mm-hmm. they're pictures that they draw, I guess, with their fingers in the air in front yeah, of them, exactly. they draw these pictures and light appears and they finish the picture. And if they, yeah, if they finish it, then 
whatever that hieroglyph means mm-hmm. is is made for them. So instead of words, it's pictures. Yeah, exactly. it's really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about Brandon Sanderson um, that that I love and that a lot of people love, which is that he never just he never just has a magic system because mm-hmm. that magic system is always central to the plot and the politics right. and the characters. It you know it's not just a device. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Anyway, did you uh, with the magic system? Did you enjoy it? Did you feel like it? was too weird or or no. was it complimentary to the story? No, I think that's one of the main things I liked about the book is because here's this magic system and it's, and primarily, I don't know if this is giving too much away, but it's connected to the world, to the earth, right? That right. he's created. And, and so you, you have this, this language and this power that's connected to it and it's artistic and it's earthly. And I don't know. It's, it's all very, it's, just, it's all very like, uh, like Gaia-esque, you know, it's totally, all Mother totally. Earth gives us this power, right? right? And if we, so it, I don't think it's giving too much away because it's revealed fairly early in the book that these aeons are all based on geographical features right. in this land where they live. And so there's a straight line, a curved line, and a dot that right. represents a coastline, a mountain range, and a lake. Mm-hmm. And everything that they draw is based on those things. And, and, um, when the earthquake came and it broke the power of the Elantrians, it was because it had altered this landscape. And so these aeons that they draw no longer work. Um, yeah, exactly. And so anyway, I, I won't give away how they solved the riddle, which is mm-hmm. really cool. But um, uh, but yeah, that's how the magic system works. Anyway. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something else? I was just going to say, and then it, you know, I think that's something that we, I don't know if it's like really weird to compare it to our world, but I think that's something that we've lost, like the beauty of language. And that's why I liked that the magic was held within this language that was very artistic. So if you drew it perfectly and you added on all these embellishments, as Rowden finds out, that's where the power comes from and the precision of that. It's just, it's something that we don't have in the English language anymore and, and something that we've kind of lost. And so I think that that's kind of the beauty of it is that it's it's held, the power is held within the way that you are able to embellish it and like add that precision and add on to it. So I think that's really awesome. Agreed. Um, but let's, so let's talk about something a little bit different. Uh, and that's the Elantrians themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked when we last week were in our sci-fi series, we were, we were talking about uh, the time machine by HG Wells. And there's this, this great motivating factor in the plot, which is fear this fear of losing his time machine. He's got to get back to his time machine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it causes a fear in the reader as well. There's the the main plot point or the main characteristic, I guess, with the Elantrians is pain Mm -hmm. and the fear of pain. Uh, That's that's the organizing principle around which they build their lives. Uh, If you feel, you know, if you stub your toe, you're screwed because mm-hmm. that pain that you felt when you stubbed your toe, you're never going to stop feeling it ever. Um, and I was recently reading some articles online about tinnitus, that thing where there's a ringing in your ear and mm-hmm. it never goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's not exactly a pain. It's, you know, it's more like an annoyance, an annoyance or an itch or yeah, something like that. But can you imagine what it would be like to live with that? It just, yeah, it'd be awful. Yeah. I think there was some, there's a, a doctor in, Europe somewhere who just assisted a woman in suicide because she had advanced tinnitus and just Mm. didn't want to deal with it anymore. I'm out of here. 
When I think that's like you brought up something that I think is interesting about Elantris is the throughout the entire book, you have this theme of fear and pain in the Elantrians. And as a reader, you can imagine that that would probably be the essence of hell or damnation. And so you yeah, have these yeah. people who are living this constantly and they're right next door. If you're, if you're living in the city of Kai, they're just a wall away from you. And it's, it's just this weird theme that goes throughout this whole story of you imagining what if I, if the shout came upon me and that was me, it, it's, and, and you, they, you see that at the very first chapter when the prince finds out that it's come upon him and you're just like, Oh my gosh, if it can happen to a prince, it can happen to anybody. And I think it's like, it's just kind of haunting from the oh, very yeah. beginning. So. Oh yeah. Good point. Um, and, and that brings up another question that I had, which, you know, it could in a way relate to how to how we view our own world. You know, if you want to take lessons out of this, heaven forbid we ever take lessons out of literature, <laughs> right? Um, but what happens when, for these people, your religion and your gods, which you see, you talk to them, and it, it all completely collapses. Right. And then you add on to that the fact that somebody else from another religion, another nation is coming in, pressuring you to join their side. And they're saying, hey, how can you believe in this crap? Look at what happened to these people. Mm -hmm. They used to be gods and now they are what? Zombies, basically. Right. Yeah. You know? Anyway, what do you do with that uh, when everything collapses around you? I mean, what would yeah. you do? Well, I think that's like religion's a huge part of this book, even you know, it doesn't have to be, but it, it totally is. And something that's interesting is you, you question this idea of what's the purpose of religion. Is it something to give you hope like the Elantrians and the Elantrians when they were gods and when they still existed, they provided food and security for the people of Kai. And, and then, so they didn't have any invaders coming in and taking away their land. It was like, they were safe because of this God that was in close proximity to them. But then when these guys are gone, they're totally left you know, open and vulnerable. And here comes this other religion, these people that are trying to convert them. And so you, you question like, what is the purpose of religion? Is it to make everybody the same and to make this entire world like the Fjord Fjordians, I think that's how you pronounce it. And of the, uh, direct the religion, or is it to give you hope and to give you something to look to and to give you strength? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of, this running question that I have that even carries over into Mistborn that I really like how you explore this idea of what is religion and what is your God and what is he supposed to, what presence is he supposed to have in your life? Um, if I answered that, it's I what, yeah. And that's, that's why Brandon Sanderson, I think is so popular now because he tells great stories. Uh, and that's your primary that's your primary duty as an author, right? Mm -hmm. Of, of novels like this is to tell a good story. Uh, but he inserts into those stories, really big questions. Totally. These are not, it's not a simple matter. These are life choices that people in the real world make mm -hmm. about religion, not just which religion they're going to join, but what, how big a role is that going to play? Mm -hmm. At what point do you abandon principles in favor of pragmatism mm -hmm. you know when you you have sereni i guess you'd pronounce it you and i would probably say serene, serene. Right? <laughs> but when you have her dealing with uh the court and trying to keep this country from falling apart and there's all these people who are uh karathi they're of the karathi religion by name only mm -hmm. they don't really care about the principles in it you know totally so yeah these are big big it's like questions tradition. it's yeah. just they're traditionally part of this 
exactly. religion. Anyway, um, but as big as the questions may be, um, and as interesting as, as the answers may be, I, I think what the, the, the strength of this book and so many books like it isn't from necessarily those huge questions that he poses, but from the characters that he poses them oh, through. Yeah. Uh, and I love the characters from this book. In fact, hang on. I found a quote from Orson Scott Card, um, who, if you don't know who he is, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to explain it now, but another uh, author who was reviewing this book. So uh, he says, what makes this novel unforgettable is the magnificent characters uh, Brandon Sanderson has created. True heroes who, in the face of adversity, find strength they did not know they had make mistakes from whose consequences they do not shrink and sacrifice to save what is worth loving in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's something that I, that I really identified with when I read that, uh, because you meet, uh, say, Rayodin and Serene, Serene, Sereni, whatever. Uh, they don't go through a lot of um, moral changes. Right. They're very good people to begin right. with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people would say, oh, they lack a certain character development, which is not the case with Harathan. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, but yeah, they start as really good characters. But, you know, they're royals. You yeah. can imagine they were pretty spoiled in their upbringing and suddenly they're thrust into this really bizarre and difficult situation. Uh, and and the really the nice thing about it the thing that you can kind of look up to as a reader and and want to gain from these mm-hmm. these characters is what Orson Scott Card said is that they they had a strength they displayed a strength that they didn't even know that they had yeah right well and i think it's no secret i have told Craig this before but i like Elantris better than Miss Bourne <gasps> Gasp, shock. i know it's like so so crazy but i think one of the things the reasons there's a lot of reasons but one of them is the characters because Fantasy, I know, is a sense of escapism. And when you look at these characters, they are strong from the beginning. And even though they have flaws, they're not completely flawed. And so at the very beginning, you love these characters and you love their strengths. And so you you are able to connect with them because they're flawed, but they are heroes. They're they're still heroes in your mind. And I like I just love the characters. I from the moment you meet the prince, it's just like, oh my gosh, he's the coolest person ever. I'm like, can I name my kid this, you know, too? <laughs> I was just obsessed with him. And I think, and then Serene, as a woman in a fantasy novel, she's like everything you want to be. She's confident. And when she walks into the room, everyone is amazed by her. And she's powerful, though. She can sit there and debate with the men and, and everyone looks up to her and respects her. And I think, for me, that's who I want to be, but I'm not. And so she's someone that I can look up to. And I'm just like, dang, if I could just be like her, that'd be like the coolest thing ever. And so I just liked these characters from the very beginning. And uh, and there are lots of minor characters as well uh, who are very well drawn mm-hmm. um, and who are integral to the plot, uh, even if they're not technically the main characters. But Galadon, his, oh, yeah, the sidekick so cool. in Elantris is great. The dialogue um, between Rayodin and Galadin is awesome. Yeah. I think it's perfect. Yeah, I would really never good. change anything about that. <laughs> is that so crazy to say? Um, and then I also really like, um, is it, it Diloph, right? Uh-huh. The, the priest. Um, the priest who has, uh, is, is kind of charged with assisting Hrath in, mm-hmm. in taking down this, this, this people. Um, He's like super evil. Oh, it's yeah. Crazy. And it, which makes for he paints awesome him perfectly. Character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's another fun thing is that his um, his main bad guy 
isn't such a bad guy. No. Well, you think he is. Yeah. He, throughout the entire book. But actually, no, you're right. I guess there are totally has redeeming qualities that you can see exactly. from the very beginning. He's, um, he is a true believer. Yeah. And he, That's true. he yeah. really, you know, not just the things the things that he says, but Sanderson makes it very clear in the things that Harathan thinks that he pities this people. He wants them to join this religion that he has cherished so much mm-hmm. for his whole life. And he's doing, I mean, he's doing things that might by us be perceived as immoral, but mm-hmm. he's doing them in, you know, for ends that he finds Justifiable, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, all right, we better get uh, get wrapping this up. But um, you, so you say that of the two so far, because you haven't finished Mistborn yet, nope, but I'm you on prefer the first, Elantris. The third book. Um, if if somebody came to you and said, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of reading a new book, would you recommend Elantris to a uh, somebody, a new a newcomer to fantasy and why? Uh, yes. Actually, I have a couples book club. And so it's men and That's women. That's adorable. Yeah, exactly. And it's my turn to pick the book and I picked Elantris. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I think primarily because Miss Bourne is a trilogy. And so for someone who's mm-hmm. not familiar with fantasy if they just kind of want to dive into a book and kind of have an entire arc within you know a shorter time period elantris is a great uh recommendation but for me why i like it is because if someone everyone has heard of the lord of the rings and so for someone getting into fantasy it's a good bridge because it's very similar the world i mean obviously there's no rings and there's no elves and not the same characters but it's very similar and like easy to grasp onto if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. So I think that's something that is good for people who are not really into the fantasy world. And for me, I like, I really love the world that he's created and it's easy to love. And that's, I think that's why I like Elantris a little bit more than Mistborn because it seems more medieval and elvish and earthy as opposed (laughs) to like mechanical and industrial. I think the world that Mistborn is placed in is very different than Elantris and I prefer Elantris. Yeah. Well, you know, you said something a, a minute ago that I wanted to bring up as one of my favorite things about this book. So this is, it's 200,000, 200,000 words, more mm-hmm. than that. It's its not a small book. No, no. Um, but it's, you know, it's not ridiculous. Um, I can think of other larger books. But anyway, um, this is a, a self-contained fantasy story. There's, uh, which is interesting because there's no quest that mm-hmm. you have to take 12 books to, you know, right. to tell the story of. There's no, um, like, end of the world cataclysm that, that right. uh, happens during this story. It's all character based and it's all contained within one book, mm-hmm. which is really rare in fantasy now. Right. Um, now, that being said... He has announced that at some point, years down the road, he will write more Elantris books. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me sad. Well, it, so you know, I've way. been thinking about that because, yeah, it made me sad at first too because this is one of the things that I like about it so right. much. But like you said, this is a great world yeah. to inhabit, True. right? And no matter how many sequels he writes, this book, Elantris, will always stand on its own two feet. You know, you can never say, oh, well, you know, it really needed the sequel. Uh, it, it Kind of like with Mistborn, uh, the first book is great, but in order to get the full effect, you need to finish the whole trilogy. Tri- totally. Uh, with this, that's just, it's never going to be the case. 
It's a fantastic book. It's what five, six hundred pages long, and you're done. And uh, you get an absolutely wonderful story. I would just caution somebody that if you're diving in, especially if you're not um, a fantasy nut like I am, mm-hmm. it's going to take you a while. Just like you said at the beginning, this take this. It took you a little while to get into. Yeah, the beginning did, but then at, once you get past a certain point, I don't know what point it was for me. It's a page turner. Yeah. Like once I got past there, I read it in like like a week or something or less. You know, it was just like any time I could find a time to read it, I would read it. Yeah. So it's just getting to that point. I don't know what it is, but it's there. Anyway, so uh, thank you, Riley, for coming on. I appreciate you taking a little time. Um, and ho- I hope that anybody listening who has not read Elantris, especially if you've read Mistborn and enjoyed it, <laughs> if you haven't read Elantris, you're you really <laughs> you're really missing out big time. Uh, so read it, uh, shoot us an email, tell us what you think, or just hop on our Facebook page and let us know. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, huge thanks to Riley and a big fat ha-ha to Ryan, Todd, and Ken, who didn't get to be here today. <laughs> Suckers. Uh, but we will see and uh, talk to you all next week. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. It seems weird, but it has let me realize that I'm a fantasy girl and that I'm okay with that because I've been trying to figure out, okay, like, who am I? By the way, fantasy girl could really have two different meanings (laughs) here. I just want you to know that. A person who loves fantasy and who is a girl.